All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm giving you full warning right now. This intro is going to be very awkward. I will try not to make our guest today feel uncomfortable uh, and stray away from fan worship and just try to be as professional as I can. Um, I will say, though, that, uh, you know, every journey uh, has to start with a spark. Every journey. So... Me personally, I will say that, you know, before directing and producing and developing TV shows and podcast hosting and movie and TV scoring and late night house band leading and producing and songwriting for artists and when they are DJing, music education, uh, designing flatware, my own sneaker line, clothes, merch, my own drum line, um, teaching, college, whatever it is, I will say... um, that there still has to be a spark and that spark starts with a love of music and more specifically playing music and specifically the drums. Everyone knows my passion is drumming. Um, in 1975, while on the road with my musician parents in Toronto, Canada on a Saturday, I caught an episode of uh, my all time favorite television show, Soul Train. And, um, it absolutely piqued my curiosity. Um, you know, I was already a fan of the average white band um, and their scary ass logo. Um, but my four-year-old self was transfixed on the one figure on stage who was neither white nor average, um, sitting behind uh, uh, a white forty-one fifty-seven uh, wooden Gretsch drum kit. I kind of made a declaration, mostly to myself. That what that guy's doing, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and pretty much from that point forward, any album that adorned that weird logo of a white woman's ass in the place of the W, uh, we copped those records and I studied it and kind of molded myself in our guest image. And um, what really makes that sentence weird is uh, I think the only time I really allowed myself 
uh, to morph into the style of our guests uh, was probably seven years into my career when a side project called The Philadelphia Experiment on a song called Ain't It The Truth, in which I kind of immersed myself uh, kind of a what would Peroni do moment. And um, look, if I'm talking too much advanced math, uh, I'm going to slow down. Look, even on a hip hop level, his drums are everywhere. Nas is halftime. Eric B. and Rakim's Microphone Fiend. TLC's Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Try Call Quest, Check the Rhyme. NWA's If It Ain't Rough It Ain't Right. Gangstar's Gotta Get Over. Brand Nubian Word is Bond. Jungle Brothers, the promo. Chill Rock G's Dope Rhymes. Uh, Stardust, music sounds better with you. Kanye West, Through the Wire. Mary J. Blige, Love is All We Need. And uh, Love Without a Limit. P Rock and CL Smooth, Take You There. B.I.G. is notorious, um, but not even just the samples, just the iconic songs. I'm Every Woman, Clouds, What You Gonna Do For Me, All Night Thing, On The Wings Of Love, Tears In Heaven, Lover Girl, Earth Song, Keep Rising To The Top, Glow, um, and name the all the iconic artists. They're not official until he's the timekeeper. So name them. Freddie King, Brian Auger, Bloodstone, Bette Miller, Aretha Franklin, Sheryl Lynn, Paul Simon, Melissa Manchester. I told you it's going to get awkward, Stephen. Christy McVie, Skirty Politti, Mick Jagger, uh, Patty Austin, George Benson, People Bryson, Jennifer Holliday, Duran Duran, Al Jarreau, Howard Jones, Cindy Lauper, Anita Baker, George Harrison, Etta James, Marcus Miller, Brian Ferry, Tracy Chapman, Johnny Cash, Ziggy Marley, Slash, Stevie Nicks, Leanne Rimes, Steve Perry, and of course, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, I will say that pretty much, you know, this guy is my hero. Even before Prince, before Michael Jackson, I've been dying to have a conversation with a person that gave me the spark to fall in love with music. Thank you very much for talking to me, Steve Farone. All right, that wasn't too awkward, right? It was just a five minute. No, that was, that was that was pretty that was pretty cool. There's a lot of people I didn't even know that played. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, when we did the Elvis Costello episode. Uh, my engineer, Steve, his intro was about 24 minutes. So, <laughs> uh, I, my, my initial intro was like 17, but I cut it down to a good five, but, um, You missed miss say- one of my favorite rap groups, so. Which one? Was it, uh, AMG. Really? AMG? That's, AMG. wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, so, I didn't so, even. It's like, it's like Janine, they used the, they used, um. Uh, 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 schoolboy crush. Okay. For for Janine, yeah. Janine the reprise. <laughs> All right. Wow. You're 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 highly aware of of how you get utilized. I um, love that. <laughs> now, what I'll say that's weird about this moment is the first time that you and I were supposed to talk for Quest Love Supreme was on March fifteenth, twenty twenty, which is kind of officially the day the world shut down because of COVID. Everything stopped. Um, yeah, yeah. You were you were doing a you were doing a uh, residency at a at a Thirty Rock, sitting in yeah. on the Seth Meyers show, and the day that we were supposed to speak, that's when we realized that we were in a pandemic. So we were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we we had to put that on ice. Now, what's even weirder 
is, you know, I, I had been begging and begging and begging and begging John Mayer and his people, like, when you come to New York, I got to go to the show. So, you know, to really enjoy the experience, so to speak, um, our listeners know that in the pandemic, I started microdosing. So, you know, I was I was in my zone. I was I arrived at Madison Square Garden. I was ready to really take in the music and, and enjoy the show. And um, the first thing I do when I see Pino Palladino, he tells me, dude. And of course, you know, I was microdosing, so it sounds like, Amir, <laughs> Perone tested positive. Can you sit in? And I was like, huh, what? Like, and literally, <laughs> I was like, well, let me see the set list. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I had to learn 15 songs and how many minutes? And they're like, 47 minutes. So literally, I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. So, you know, it's it's like I didn't get to talk to you, but I got to play on your drum set. And what's even weirder is that after two and a half years of avoiding this dodgeball of a virus, today I finally tested positive. So, oh, congratulations! <laughs> Welcome to the club. Right? Yeah, we're connected, man. We are connected. Oh my god! How you so, feeling? You know what? It's it's like having the sniffles. Like yeah. I was expecting my taste to go away and all that stuff. I'm I'm having a ball, man. I'm I'm gonna stay in bed all week. I'm watching movies. I'm gonna work. You know, I'm working on the Sly and the Family Stone documentary now. So, you know, I'm I'm in fine health. I couldn't be happier. Before I forget, congratulations on the Oscar. All right, my oh, man. Thank you. Thank you so Fantastic. much. Fantastic. You work hard. You work way too hard for me. Well, I don't work hard, <laughs> but I, I I work I work fun. Uh, yeah. Where are you right now as we speak? I'm at a friend of mine's house in Burbank because my house is being torn apart by contractors. Okay, we have a yeah. lot in common. Yeah. Uh, I, I also purchased a farm about a year and a half ago, and I'm still, it's almost, it's almost in money pit territory. So contractors, uh, you know, are working on the asbestos. I, I had and, to fire my contractor yesterday. Let's not go same, into that. <laughs> same. Same. Yo, dog. Same. <laughs> What is Same. it with these guys, man? That's I got I got the house two years ago, and now you know we're still we're still waiting for it. I didn't. I, I just had to freeze it. Um, so I'll work. It was just way too much money to invest in it. So I got to yeah. wait until maybe October. So it'll probably be three years before I get inside my house. It'll get done when it's supposed to get done. That's all I can say. Absolutely, absolutely right. So you know, I I start off with every episode with the the first five basic questions. Uh, number one, for our, for our listening audience, could you tell us where you were born? Yeah, I was born in Brighton in England, on the south coast of England, about an hour south of London. I, I will say that probably Brighton, England, 94, was probably the second best root show of all time. Oh, really? Um, where did you play? Did you, did, where, I don't know. We did a gig with Roy Ayers, and that's where we discovered that the engineer of our show is just as important as the musicians on stage. And we kind of learned, you know, because the thing is, is like, unlike America, Brighton at least has an understanding. I don't know if it's that a lot of reggae concerts over there, but they have a, a deeper understanding of bass. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we realized, like, we would just push the sound limit. Like the average show, you know, if you trust the sound company, maybe you're allowed to do like 102 dBs, maybe 108 dBs. Like 
we were 140 dBs. We weren't mm-hmm. loud, but we just had a lot of bass. And mm-hmm. so at the point where the audience was holding their stomach, like, the, you know, they were getting a colonic. <laughs> they but like still that. Dan- right. Yeah, but still <laughs> dancing. We yeah. realized, like, oh, we have to be the most offensively loudest band in music. And so, you know, we maybe the first three years we were like everyone's nightmare, but nothing compares to that one night with Roy Ayers in 1994 in Brighton. Like, I know you just celebrated a, a birthday. Yeah, 72. Um, yes, happy belated. Thank you. Um, so I know that you were born in 1950. Now, mm-hmm. you weren't born in the States, you know, nope. dealing with Jim Crow, Deep South racism. But, Absolutely. you know, I'm certain that it was alive and well across the world. But yeah. what does it mean to grow up, at least for the first 10 years of your life, in Brighton? Like, what experiences did you have? You know, well, there's a... There's a photograph, it's not around here. I wish I had it with me. It was in my house. There's a photograph of me at school. I was like the only black kid in school. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and uh, we're watching a Punch and Judy show. And guess what? We were all just having fun. It didn't uh, come into to question that I was a different color ever. I mean, when I was, when I was little. Mm, okay. Until one day that I was out with my friends and we were playing. I lived in a row of houses on a street. And then there was there was this alleyway that mm-hmm. led up to this little cottage. And then there was this crescent with big houses. Uh, and, uh, and in this uh, cottage at the top of this little alleyway, there was a guy that was a re- retired Harley, uh, Harley street surgeon. Mm-hmm. And so we used to play up. There was a couple of trees and we'd play cowboys and Indians and stuff. And we got a bit too close to this guy's house and he came out with a sword stick and, uh, and, and he pulled this sword stick and he said, get out of here. Making all that noise, man. And he, put, he looked right at me with this sort of point of science. And he said, you too, you black bastard. And I had no idea what it was that he said. Right? I didn't really? know, I didn't know uh, what that meant, you know. But I felt it. I, I, I burst into tears and I ran home and I told my grandmother. Who, uh, you were living who, with your grandparents? I was living with my grandparents and my mom, yeah. Okay. Uh, and my, my father was from West Africa, from Sierra Leone. Oh, okay. Okay. But he was never around. I mean, he showed up when I was nine for a couple of days. That was about it. Okay. But uh, my grandmother then told, got my grandfather and did one of those defend my honor. (laughs) Oh, you went to the house. He went to the house and. And my grandfather went up there and grabbed this guy and put him up against the wall and said, don't you ever talk to my grandson like that again. But. uh, 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 Oh, wow. The way that it got explained to me uh, at that point in time, I think probably I was maybe five or six years old as a little kid. My mother said to me that, um, she said, you know what, there's people out there that think that way and, uh, and they're to be pitied, which was, was something that wasn't desirable as far as I didn't want, I didn't want to ever be pitied. You know? And uh, so anyway, so that's, um, that's, what, that's, that's the way I kind of looked at it. But yes, you're absolutely right. There's, there's, there was a big difference. The big difference, I, I believe, those social problems are, of, of bruised Black America, right. and and right. and and I I see that uh, uh, I see it, and and I and and it's different for me because slavery never came into it. Wow, that's amazing. That I can't even imagine a life. Um, there's racism. Racism, yes. Slavery didn't. No, I right. Think, no, I think there's a difference in the in the in the way that things. You know, it's weird. Um, so in in the states. I'm I'm part of a one percent. That's there's one percent of African Americans that can trace 
their family name, their slave ship, and where they came from. Mm-hmm. I'm in that lucky few. Um, I also found out that LL Cool J is there was two percent of African Americans that had nothing to do with slavery. I guess his family settled in a place in uh, Ohio that just didn't have slavery, no. and like somehow he was able to. His family was able to avoid uh, any of that strife, which is, you know, kind of a rare thing. Um, Can you tell me what your first musical memory was? Uh, Well, you know, uh, what I was told (laughs) Mm -hmm. was was that I I used to sit in the high chair and we, we didn't have TV back then. We had radio. Okay. And I'd sit in the high chair with my spoon eating, and then some music would come on, and I'd start banging my spoon on the on the uh, on the high chair on the table there to just keep in time with whatever music was on the radio. And that was when they they decided that my my grand my grand my my grandmother and my mother decided that I needed to uh, to channel that that ability somewhere. So my grandmother was a big fan of uh, of uh, of tap dancing. She she loved Fred Astaire and. And, uh, uh, and yeah. Gene, Gene Kelly and Tic Tac Toe and those guys. She was she was aware of them, and so she sent me to tap dancing school when I was about as soon as I could walk. When I was about three years old. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say um, I just discovered that about you maybe a week ago when mm-hmm. I was doing my research, and that's kind of my entry into drums. I, I went to a performing arts school in the first grade, and it was one of those situations where. You go to your drum lesson and the drums are right there mm. and you're sort of like, let me at them, let me at them. And they're like, nope. And they point to a practice pad on the corner and you got to yeah. learn like your roommates. Like, it's almost like I had to practice to work my way up to the drum set. But even before I got to the practice pad, um, yeah, I had to take tap dance. So, yeah. you know. Well- all that bojangles, me and my shadow, like all, like I was, I was a a, a hoofer, like. Right. Uh, I, were you good at it? I was pretty good at it. Yeah, um, I, was, I was pretty good at it. I, I won medals and stuff. Really? <laughs> can you can you still uh, hoof now, or is that what's no, the last no, time you did I had, it? I had a knee replacement. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I know I got that light on my feet anymore, but uh, I could probably, I can probably, I can do a time step still. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like around around maybe nine, age nine or age ten, I kind of eased out of that and just became strictly like music. Well, uh, you know, I, I have to say, my first re- like my moment that that you had that you said that you had with Average White Band, mm-hmm. I had uh, when I was about five years old. My parents used to take me. They used to take me. We had this. Um, I guess you call it vaudeville or something like that. Mm-hmm. Would it be vaudeville. There was a theater called the Hippodrome in Britain, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the Beatles played there actually. So it's, it's kind of bingo hall now, I think it is. But uh, okay. it's this nice one of those theaters that got sort of neglected and, and sort of let go. Little right. theater, and uh, and and uh, they used to take me there to see these shows, and and you know usually it was comedians and a pantomime at Christmas and stuff, and and they took me there. Uh, to see this show and there was a band there was a band uh, a close harmony group called the deep river boys deep from, river boys okay yeah from brooklyn oh really okay and they were very very big on uh, radio luxembourg 
uh, was okay. was where you would where people would go to to listen to something other than the BBC because the BBC used to just play classical music and it wasn't they didn't play anything at all you know so you go to Radio Luxembourg and you tune into Radio Luxembourg and they had a show on there and and I guess they also would it, it was also a show that was that was that was good for like uh, uh, the the American forces were all over Europe at that point they had a basis mm-hmm. in France and Germany and. And uh, and and so uh, they used to be on that on on the American forces broadcasting, but they had a regular show on this on this, uh, and they they on, on Radio Luxembourg, and they appeared in at the Hippodrome. So my parents took me down there, and they they did made it was kind of like gospel music, but I'd never heard anything like that, and I got really excited and started dancing around in the in the audience. Right, listening to this music is like, what's this? You know, <laughs> oh wow, wait, okay. Wait, it's like when you find vanilla ice cream, you give a vanilla ice cream to a baby. First time they have it, they're like, why didn't you give me this before? You know, you gave right. me all this baby food. <laughs> why? Where was this vanilla ice cream? Well, that was what what I what, what I got with from their music. Okay, and and they sent their manager, they took me, and they brought me backstage and befriended befriended me. They made really? me Deep River Boys number six. And that was the time. That was when I found out that I was black. <laughs> oh, word. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that I was black until I'm, I went and saw these guys, and my, they took me back. Back, to my parents, my my mum and my grandmother took me backstage to meet them. You know, with the, they'd mm-hmm. been invited back. And I looked at these guys, and they were six foot tall, which was for them back then was gigantic. Was a giant. Right. And I said, wow, I wish I could be black like you guys. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> we used the word, back then, we never said black was colored because it was, right. it was respectful. It was disrespectful to say black back then. Yeah. So we I said, know. I wish I was colored like you. And this guy, Harry Douglas, who, who I stayed in touch with for years, he passed away sometime, some time ago. Oh, but you Harry, maintained a friendship with him? Yes, all through the years. Yes. Wow. Just amazing. And uh, uh, and were Harry, these the first Americans that you interacted with yes, as well? Yes. How yes. how weird was it to hear? Did they have an accent to you? I I didn't even I I, I was just like I was just so thrilled. They, I mean, they, that's how they sang, and they sang they sang like they were American. Right. Yeah, you know, we heard it seemed like it. We you know, sort of heard about America. I think we had TV by then, so there'd be a couple of TV series that we'd seen. Not much of a TV little thing like this black or white thing. You know. Right. But uh, but Harry, Harry Douglas looked at me and he and he said to me, he says, you know, tonight I'm going to cast a spell, and when you wake up tomorrow morning, you go look in the mirror and you and you, you you'll be you'll be coloured like we are. <laughs> I, 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 went to, I went to sleep. I went to sleep and and then I got up and I went, went to the mirror in the morning and said, yes, it worked. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I never thought anything more about it. <laughs> Oh, God, that's a great story, man. Yeah. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you know what the first LP or single that you gravitated towards? Well, you know, I I, I remember I used to to listen a lot to Motown. Mm -hmm. So Northern um, Soul was a thing? Then yeah, or was well, that more of the sixties? It was yeah. It was this, it was more of a mods and rockers. You know, we had these two factions, the warring factions. Okay. And and the rockers used to listen to sort of Elvis Presley, sort of rock and roll and skiffle music, and the mods used to listen to to um, the Who and okay. Motown and Motown. Okay. And and that and, and that was funny because we all everybody started to play air bass. You know, it went from playing like air guitar or just air drums. Right when Motown came out, everybody was. So that's what you gravitated toward, okay? Digging on James Jameson. James, but, yeah, yeah. But when it came to like playing an instrument, the drums was like I, I'd learned, I'd figured out the mechanics of doing that. But I could playing in a. I got. I actually got a job when I was twelve in a in a in a, in a real show. And while I was on the show in the kids' chorus of this summer show, uh-huh. tap dancing and singing with this a guy named Max Bygraves, who was a big star in England. Okay. I looked down into the orchestra pit and we did this. We had this thing where we'd all up, be up there doing the twist, you know, let's twist again. We'd all have to be up there twisting. Right. Little, little kids with this guy. And I looked down and I saw the... How's he doing that with his hands like that, you know? And so I that, went upstairs and practiced that. And then I thought, well, then I had to listen a bit more when I was up there twisting. I said, what's he doing with his feet? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So then, what... what uh, well, I'll re-ask the question. Do you know what the first single or album that you purchased with your own money 
Because I think it's a little different than an Sad- album's in your house. <laughs> Sadly. What is it? The first single that I, I got a bad one too, so go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll share mine as you share yours. Go ahead. It was my mother's birthday, and I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And she said could, uh, she wanted green, green grass of home. Who sings that? Uh, Frank, I think it was uh, Frank Ifield. Oh, wow. Down so- the road I look, and there comes Mary. Lips and I, na, 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 na. <laughs> That's what your mom does. Yeah. Went into the record store. Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people and say like Jackson Five or something, but the, but the real answer is, uh, I think the forty five I ever purchased was uh, "Bad Blood" by Neil Sedaka. Uh, yeah. And only be, only because really, I, I judged. I lived in a house with like over three thousand records because uh, my parents were musicians, and the Rocket Company, which was Elton John's label, Neil Sedaka's label, I judged records on how good the logo looked. Rotating on the forty-five, <laughs> and so I like the green and blue hue of MCA Rocket Records, yeah. Yeah. and so I chose a uh, Bad Blood. So the first time that you actually sat on a drum set, like who taught you how to play the drums? Like what's your what's your uh, entry into sitting on a drum set? Well, I, I just what happened was was that when I went to when I was after we'd done this TV this run this this uh, show, the summer show, mm-hmm. there was a, a place called the Regent Ballroom in Brighton, and that okay. was, uh, is not there anymore. It's a boots chemist now. But but um, on Saturday mornings, they would have, uh, uh, they'd have it open, there would be a disc jockey, and all the people would take their kids there mm-hmm. and drop their kids off there, and then they'd go shopping. They'd go and do their shopping. They'd leave their kids there. It was a safe place for them to be, and they'd, the kids would dance and, and uh, and uh, so uh, DJ culture was the thing in the sixties where yeah oh, yeah you yeah, put a record yeah. on you hear it over a PA system yeah 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 we had they they had two things they had a live band and then the stage would revolve and there would be a disc jockey and so they would do they would the band would take a break and then the disc jockey would be out there and play the records and we used to like the the records really? a lot more than the band yeah because the band played the old stuff really there was sort of like a ballroom band you know. The, the disc jockey used to play the Motown, and we used to love that. Loved it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And and so we were, we were there. We used to go there on a Saturday morning, and me and my me and you know a young boys with with uh, raging hormones would go up to these young girls and and they dance with us. You know, we might get a kiss on the cheek, and that was it. It was finished. You know, that, that was the love. <laughs> but one day, um, uh, Manfred Mann's band they were playing that night at the in the um, in the in the uh, in the ballroom, right? For the, and and they 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 set up early when we were all in there, and they played. I, I guess they did their sound check, and they played for us little kids. And really? every and every every little every little twelve year old girl in there went completely crazy about this band, like like they were the Beatles, screaming. And so I said to my friends, <laughs> "We're doing the we're doing it all wrong. We need we need to be that." <laughs> We need to be really? a band, yeah. So we put the, we started playing. We got we just uh, I got a toy. I had a toy drum kit, and I mm-hmm. had those motor skills. I knew where to do it. And the only song there was a guy who had he had a real guitar, and but he had a, a an old record player that his dad had, had changed into being a, a, an amplifier. An amp, okay, yeah. And he played, and we played. Saw us standing there. I had the T chest with the with the string and the that was a. 
Really? That's, that was the bass, and that's, and we, that's all we could play with Saw standing there, and we did that. Let me make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. You mean yeah. Manfred Man, the actual Blinded by the Light guys? Yeah. Okay. See, I yeah. know them from that 70s hits. I didn't realize yeah, yeah, that they yeah, had yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, snap. And so we would, we would, we would go and play in the afternoons at a friend's house. You couldn't do it at my, my grandfather would, he was, you know, he was a, he was a milkman and he would go out and start work at three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't want to, he hated music, all kind. Of, the only thing he liked was classical music and, the, and anything young was just, he didn't like anything about young kids or young people. Noise, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we go up to another friend's house and, and we, we'd set up and we play with this little toy drum kit thing that I had. My grandmother bought me a snare drum for Christmas, a real one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, the guy with the guitar, because he, he had a real instrument, his father, mm-hmm. his father owned a gas station. Okay. He used to go and hang out in the music stores, which is where all the older kids that had bands used to hang out. Okay. Right? So you had, there's, these, there's these big kids, what, they, what we call them big kids, you know, because here we are, 12-year-olds, and there's these like 18-year-old kids, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids that had started playing bands, playing, making bands yeah. and could play. And, but we had money, had jobs, because some of them would leave school at 15, Mm-hmm. And they would they would buy save up and buy an instrument and 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 make a band. So this kid was there trying. You know, being a little twelve year old, I got a real guitar trying to hang out with these older kids. And um, uh, there was a bunch of guys in there. The way gigs used to be got, there would be a bulletin board, right? They put a bulletin board in the music shop, and if you if you wanted a a, a gig, you go and look at the bulletin and see who was who was looking for a drummer, or who was looking for a guitarist, or uh, oh, you know, and right. and uh, and you, and and they put up this thing, and they were talking to the proprietor of the store, and they were saying to him, "Well, our drummer's got to go and get his appendix out, and we need we got a gig at a youth club on Saturday night, and we need to get if you hear any drummers coming in here." And my friend took his life into his hands, talking to like older kids like that, and said, "I know a drummer." <laughs> really? <laughs> and they said, well, who's that? And they said, well, you know, good thing. He said, you're a blues band, right? The, the, the Flames, they called it. Yeah. Said, well, this guy, he's black. <laughs> so that was that was the first. <laughs> that was the first. They said, uh, he's, he's, how old is he? He's, uh, well, he's 12 years old. They said, well, is he any good? And he goes, oh, yeah, he can play good. He said, okay. Oh, boy. Have him come over and meet us at this, uh, this house. Uh, uh, and so this kid, and with no telephone, you know, right. he was like, he had to come over to my house. He said, hey, there's these big kids and they got a band and they're looking for a drummer. And I'm like, well, big kids? Because <laughs> big kids used to beat up kids like my size, you know. And he said, yeah. So so I went over there. And I took took my life in my hands and I walked in there and I sat down and I played a few songs with them. And and and, and they said, okay, well, you can come play the youth club with us. You and passed they, the test. I passed the test, yeah. Because oh, I, wow. I, 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 I knew... I knew songs, you know, I, it was for the tap dance and you feel your way, you know, I knew introduction, verse, chorus, right. bridge, you know, and, 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 and how the dynamic, the dynamic of a song. So I could kind of follow that. I didn't even have to know the song. I could follow it. You know? There's one time I went to not an all white school, but um, there's one time I went to, I was playing a pickup game of basketball so naturally, you know, the white kids thought like, well, we'll take a mirror because he's black. Yeah. And yeah, I was in a sports game. Yeah. I found out. 
<laughs> they made me captain of the football team, too. Su- <laughs> really? I said, yeah. I was useless. I was useless. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're a real musician. Yeah. I always say that. Real musicians don't know sports. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Well, one, you're saying you were 12, which basically means that this is 62. Yeah. Um, you know, for the United States, the the what we call the British invasion mm. will happen in a year or a year and a half. That's right. What is the, well, you lived in the British invasion, so I guess it wasn't a big deal to you. So what is the effect of white-based blues, these teens that are listening to these blues records and starting rock bands? Like, how how influential was it in 63, It was, was extreme, you know, because this is what happened. You know, these older kids, they knew... Somehow, I don't know how, but they knew about Muddy Waters, <coughs> Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, Lightning okay. Hopkins. All They knew all about that stuff. And they, those guys had a tour, and they would come and play at the Dome in Brighton. Yeah. And so I, Bill Doggett, he was my least favorite. You like Bill Doggett? Uh, 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 okay, okay, he okay. was my least favorite. But now, in listening to him, I've got to wonder why. Right. right? But, but when, at that time... I, I I loved John Lee Hooker. I, John Lee Hooker was just uh, and Sonny Terry, Terry and Brownie McGee. Mm-hmm. I loved it, and they and so these guys they come around every year, and the band that I would this band that I was playing with, they take me. These eighteen year old kids would take me right to see it. I mean, I would have paid more attention had I had I known what I was watching, right? You know, but I got to see those guys. It was incredible. And that was that was the start of it for me. I'm I'm currently uh, trying to shop. There's someone that's written a series based on uh, a lot of those uh, Chicago mm. uh, blues legends um, coming over to Germany, coming over to the UK, finding a new audience over there. We're trying to shop that yes, series right now. Yes, they knew who they were. Right. I mean, we didn't have computers and stuff to look these people. We 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 who the hell is that? Yep. Right. Well, it's good because, you know, they couldn't get arrested in the United States, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, but was, even if they could get arrested in the United States, I remember seeing that 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 uh, movie about uh, standing in the shadows of Motown mm-hmm. where they were absolutely shocked when they arrived in England that people would say, go on and say, who's James Jameson? Which one of you is James Jameson? Right. And they were like, how the hell do you know about James Jameson? Right. Which one, wow. of, you Benny, which one of you is Benny Benjamin? We knew that all those people were. Were you yeah. were you developing any heroes? Like, who would you say is the first drumming hero that you had yeah, in terms of like Bernard Purdy? Okay, Bernard Bernard. Yeah, Purdy. I was going to say I know I know you guys covered what is soul on the seventy seven Benny and Us record, yeah. but was that your idea to cover that song? Yes, yes, because that was the first time that I ever heard drums played with syncopation like that. I I I was we were I was working. I sat when I was about fourteen years old. I started to go like on in summer. When I didn't left. I left school at fifteen, but mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I, we started to go over and work American bases in in France. And I remember it was like it was yesterday. I was in the in the uh, there was a place called the Caserne, and it was in Tours, okay. in the middle of France. And we were there playing at, at the Enlisted Man's Club. And and we could eat on the base, so we'd go to the we'd stay off the base, but we could go to the base and eat on the base and go to the can. And there was a 
we, we sort of went and sat down near the jukebox so we could hear the music that was on there. Couldn't afford to buy anything. But, right. And, and this, uh, this uh, black GI in his fatigues, the green fatigues that they used to wear, he sort of sauntered over there, sort of skinny. Like I remember seeing him do it, and he popped in whatever it was, quarter dime, whatever they put in there, and he hit some numbers and walked away. And I heard, Shagadadum, da-dum, 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 And I, what? What? What was wow. that? I, I heard Ringo <coughs> Starr. I heard, I heard Charlie Watts. I never heard drums played like that. Where did that come from? Oh, wow. So I went over and had a look. What, what, what record was that? Oh, Benny King. What is soul? So yeah. how do you know who's playing drums? Because I don't know if album credits are even a thing. Like when I was, you know, Purdy did a session for my dad in like 74. Yeah. So that's how I got to meet him. But mm. how do you know who is what? And well, I, I don't know. I found out that it was Purdy, but uh, 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 maybe he got the album or something or asked around and somebody, somebody else knew. I don't know. Right. I couldn't look it up on a computer. Uh, I, 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 I don't remember having the, an album with that, with any information on it. You know? but, right. uh, but, Somebody told me, oh, that's Bernard Purdy. Okay. Well, you mentioned sort of dropping out at 15. When you do that, in your mind, is it like, okay, do or die, I have to be a musician? And how does your family feel about this decision? It was, it was revenge. You know, it was class system in England. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be anything more than maybe a bus driver or plumber. Uh, oh, that was as high as you can go. I wasn't. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to stay an extra year at school and become a banker or like a working a bank clerk or civil servant or something like that. I, I was. Um, it it, it kind of started. I mean, I sort of stayed in. We had forms A, B, C, D forms. I was in the A form. I was kind of in. I could hover in the middle of the A form. I wasn't done. Okay. I I I decided that I wanted to play drums, and, and especially you know since now. Hey, Ringo Starr have become a huge star, right? Okay, Char- right. Charlie Watts. These were like normal guys. They weren't upper cru- upper cl- upper class, upper crust or anything. These were like right. They were they were like us. Okay. Keith Moon. I used to you know play. My band used to open for the Who, and they played in within Brighton in a little really? tiny little club. Yeah. Was he destroying his kit back then, or he, he, well, not in the beginning? But then he started to <laughs> once they start, once they started to give him equipment, and uh, they, there was a whole story behind that. But, okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I used to go. I take pieces of it for spares for Mike. I had an Olympic drum kit, a little Olympic, which is all it start wasn't it wasn't a gigster. Gigster was was the was the was the, was the really cheap, horrible thing, right? And then he had Olympic, which was intermediate, and then Premier, right? But I had this Olympic thing, and but and the premier stuff would like different lugs and stuff would fit on there, you know. So if I had stuff that broke, oh. I could take that. And, uh, and Keith Moon would take a sledgehammer to his drum kit and just smash it into matchwood, you know. And I'd say to to the roadie, "Can, can I have? T- yeah, sure, t- take it." Really? <laughs> yeah. Pete Townsend destroyed uh, the guitar on the Tonight Show, and they let me have it. So oh, great. Yes. I've, uh, <laughs> well, well it, was like, know, it was like a ukulele, but still, you know, it's like a guitar. But like I'm saying, though, that this was peers that were, that were, that were doing it. So when they, they started to ask me when I was like 14, you know, you know what, what do you want to do when you leave school? And I said, oh, I want to be a drummer. 
I want to, I want to play the drums. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And they said, well, because he's not a real job. Uh, 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 so I said, well, Ringo Starr does it. No, mm-hmm. Charlie Watts does it. Yeah, but you're not, you're not Ringo Starr. And then they started to call me Ringo. And I used to, I used to, I used to play football. I was like I said, they they made me captain, but I wasn't any good at the captain. Right. I used to, I used to box at school. I was pretty good boxing. Okay. Wait, you were but, there was boxing curriculum in in high school. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Until one kid got killed, and then they stopped it. That was a couple of years. After <laughs> but, but but um but they they um uh, we had boxing at school, and and I was always all right at that, and, and and I used to do that for the school, and I used to run track at school, but but. When they started to to mock me about what right. I wanted to do about music, then I went on strike and I said, "Right, that's it. I'm going to play music. I'm not going to do this anymore." And I rebelled, complete rebellion. I go into go into exams and I'd sit there and they'd say, "You got five minutes to just read the stuff through." I'd sit there and then they 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 ring the bell, and say, "Okay, start start working." I put up my hand and say, "Can't do it." Wow. I said, well, and I said, "Can't do it. It's too difficult. Can't do it." We'll try. I don't want to. And they wouldn't want to argue with me, so they'd just say, okay, get out. And I'd leave. I'd go play drums. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What was what was considered making a good living as a musician, at least at that point in your life? <laughs> Nine pounds a week with a bit of fortune. <laughs> 
You know, when I when I left and got left school and got a job, I was earning like four pounds a week. It, you know, four pounds went a lot farther than than it does now. But but um, oh, because of inflation, yes, yeah. Okay. But uh, but uh, uh, it it was still very little, very little money. I give a couple, I give a, uh, about one pound fifty to my mum for rent and uh, and uh, really, yeah, okay, yeah. That was, that's how I was brought up. Eventually, I know. In your mind, is it is the goal to make it in America? Is the goal to get on the radio? Is the goal to play a, a large theater? Like, what's the first step in you making it? Never really had any particular ambition at all, and anything except to play to play music and make a living at it. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, I did the starving musician bit in London, you know, and and. Uh, with a couple of guys, we lived in a one bedroom, one bedroom uh, apart, wasn't even an apartment, a room, <laughs> right? And, and we're starving musicians, and there's some people would, would live off the charity of people and go and hang out and get picked up for the odd gig here and there. Okay. The object, I think, the object really was just just to get to a place where you could afford to pay your rent and get a place to live and. Yeah, not not even you know, I didn't have any any ambition as far as like private jets or right. Yeah, what we have now. Uh, yeah, wh- that, that's, <laughs> yeah. What what uh what is rent a month in? Okay, let's say like you're now eighteen. Yeah. In 1968, what is rent a month in the UK? Oh, maybe two three pounds a week, maybe something okay. like that. Yeah. So Not you can make that on a gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when the, the sort of psychedelic movement eases in, or at least like by post-1966, like when the Beatles start experimenting, when Hendrix is starting to come over to make a, a, a mark, is this affecting you at all in your mis- musicianship? Like, oh, are you- absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was one of the 60s was a wonderful time, you know, as far as like music, fashion. Yeah. So, were you a hippie? No, I was. I was. I was. Well, I. You know, I started off when when that, like I said, the, the boring mods, mods and rockers. Right. I, I thought. Well, you know, this all started like an Easter Sunday down at the beach, and I thought, well, who's going to win? Yeah, the rockers. They get you know. So so I, I I sort of put on some rocker garb, whatever, whatever, as close as I could get to rocker garb, and I went down to the beach, and there were thousands and thousands of mods. So I went back home and I put on some Levi's and a white T-shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> chased it, and then went down there and became a mod and rioted with everybody through throwing stones and running up and down the beach and beating up people when we could find them. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> um, so you know, from what I know, it is was the American group Bloodstone your first uh, experience in the United States, or was that uh, in, was there a group in, before? In the- in the United States, I mean, I I I'd done the Freddie King album. I worked on the Freddie King album. Burger oh, album. okay. And, well, and that, what was that like playing with him? Oh, it's incredible. He okay. was incredible. And and uh, the the producer was a guy named Mike Vernon, uh, uh-huh. a guy named Mike Vernon. And and Mike had come down to see this. Uh, I'd started. I'd come back to England from from being, living in Europe, and um, went to music school. What school? Uh, it was a, the Nice Conservatory of Music. Oh, you went to Nice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was, was a guy named Jacques Carré, who was the, the percussion, 
Russian teacher, and, and he let, I was too old, actually, to get into the school as a student. So he got me in as a teacher because I could play. So he, so he had me teach the kids. And because I was teaching the kids how to play modern drums, because all they taught was classical music. That was about it. So you could uh, read music? I, uh, by the time I left, I could, yeah. Minimally. Not, uh, not like the guys. I mean, I, there was guys that, that had been, since they were tiny, had learned, had learned to play their instrument through, through reading music. You know? and okay. uh, but these guys, they couldn't play modern drums. I could. So oh. I had to teach them. So when I'm teaching them, I'm writing them out exercises, and they're like, oh, no, 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 Mr. Ferroni. This is, <laughs> this is how you write that out. And so I was learning I was as you were teaching. At, as I was teaching, yeah. Oh, okay. Was, I did three years of that, and it was wonderful. It I was see. really wonderful. But, when, uh, but when, I came, when I came back, I started to play with this band, Gonzalez. They were uh, uh, a bunch of studio musicians that would, that would play in the clubs at night. And the way you got into that band was you wait for whoever was playing your instrument to go out of town or have a gig that he couldn't, uh, a session that he couldn't make the gig. And mm-hmm. then you would come in there and then you would play you would play that gig until you couldn't make it anymore and then you leave. And then guys like Richard Bailey. So it switched off with like Richard Bailey. And uh, that was that was how, how that band. And we opened for Average White Band once. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, at, the, at this point, were you running into Allen or Hamish or the Glasgow guys? I was really good friends with, with Robbie McIntosh. We, when, when I was uh, uh, when I went to Italy when I was like seventeen years old, I went to Italy and I met Robbie down there and Alex Lidgetwood. You know, you know, Alex is uh, is um, he, he sang with Santana. He, he sang that song "I'm Winning" with Santana. Really? Okay. And Alex and Robbie used to play in a band called the Senate. Okay. And they were there in 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 Italy, and I was there. I was there working with an American guy named Ronnie Jones. Okay. He's still alive. God bless him. He's eighty three years old. Eighty three years old now, and he he lives he lives in Milan. Did Macintosh have what you would say a pocket then, oh, or yeah. was he just? Oh yeah. Oh he, really? He, he he came up with listening to the same stuff as I did. You know, it's funny. You know, we we all came up listening to the same music. Even Tom Petty, and when after spending some time with with the Heartbreakers, we start talking about oh, you know, this song or that song. And uh, I came to find out that Tom and Mike were listening to the same stuff as I was listening to as the, oh. as the English invasion. We were all listening to the same music. The same thing. Okay. Yeah. I see. And so there was a connection made through the, through the music, you know, and there was a connection made with, 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 the, with the guys from Average White Band because they were up in Scotland and I was down at the, they were like way up there in Scotland, up in Dundee, and right. I'm, I'm down here in the south of England. And we're all listening to Motown and listening to Stax, you know? And so when we sat down and started to play that music, we, we had a way of playing it that was, it, it would give a nod to it, but we didn't copy. We didn't, it wasn't a... a it wasn't derivative of it. Okay. No, no. You could tell what it was. You know, because you were sort of the drummer whose DNA I studied the most... Um, always wanted to know this, the, the sort of trick or at least your signature feel, which I kind of believe maybe Purdy did it first. The infamous, got that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, That's Purdy. Is okay. (laughs) I I was going to say, you, you heard Purdy do that and then Matt just instantly became part of your DNA. 
Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And then and then and then the other hi hat stuff that the more I got that from Stevie Wonder. It's so funny. You say, oh, okay, I'm glad yeah. I'm talking to you. Um, yeah. y- y- well, any keep on I, running. I, I might be. Running, I, I was going to say, quote unquote, I might be, uh, quote unquote, working on a Stevie Wonder project as well. And you know, Stevie to me, I don't know any besides James Gadson and maybe Bonzo. Mm. I don't know another drummer who I define more with his cymbal work. Mm. You know. Like all the music of my mind, just the sloppiness of like love having you around and just. I miss that when he started programming drums. I miss uh, that so much. I know. Like, like I love when he's sloppy <laughs> and just all over the uh, place. I, I think it's also the fact that he would sort of Motown style overdub those Tom Toms and overdub those yeah. hi hat feels that it sounds super intense because, you know, it, it just sounds like he's playing it within an, an inch of his life. Oh, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful stuff. What was the first American city that you arrived in? In New York. And what was your first impression of America? <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> we, I, remember, I, remember landing, I remember landing at, at the airport and I had my, drums, my drum kit on a, on a, on a cart. Right? And I don't, right. Think I, I don't think I had a work permit. <laughs> what? And 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 I came through, and this this guy, this customs guy, looked at me and he says, "What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, we're just here, like on vacation." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, okay." He says, "Your first time here visiting?" I don't know. It was because I had an English accent. Because back then it was kind of unique for a black guy to speak with an English accent, you know. Uh, and he said, and he and he and he said to me, he said, uh, so, "He said, uh, have you got any drugs?" And I said, "No, I haven't got, I haven't got any drugs." He said, no. and he said, "There's plenty through that door. Welcome to New York." <laughs> really. <laughs> And that was that. And that was that. Sixth Avenue. We rode, we were riding up Sixth Avenue. And, and I yeah. remember, wow. <laughs> wow. Look Just at looking out and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When was, when is the era of backline? Like, were you expected to provide your own gear, your own drums? Are you setting yeah. up your own gear? Was there a roadie back in the day? Or were you setting up no. your own stuff? Well, there were a couple of roadies, but they would they would help. But you know, we all have to really sort of take care of our own stuff. Okay, I've heard many accounts of how Robbie passed away and how mm. you got into the group. Yeah, but I'd never heard an official version from an official band member. How did Robbie pass away, and how did you get the gig? For the average well, white band. Well, you know, Robbie and I were friends. I was supposed to go to that party. I was supposed to meet him at that party, but I was, okay. I was, we, I was, I was doing the film, uh, doing the film with the. What's the? You're in that movie? No, I played. Well, I might be in there, but I, I did the music for it. So, did it ever come out? Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 I think I have it. I think I got it. I found it. On oh my movie. god! Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah they um, train they, to Hollywood. Yes, when they yeah. when they were promoting that album on Soul Train, uh, Don Cornelius showed like a minute of the clip where they're riding in a train and they're in yeah. the bunkers and yeah. doing show tunes and whatnot. And right. so it's a, it's, a, it's a funny. I mean, I had to go there and be on set with them, and and then and then we go we do record music and you know. And, and so you're all over that record. Yeah. Wow, that's not yeah. you on Natural High. Money, money's but no. 
Okay. That's not me and Manager. But but money money badass. <laughs> Somebody actually sent it to me. That's why I started looking for it. I forgot all about it. Wow. We did that. All oh, the best things in life are free. Right. Yeah. I get it. So so I was doing I was doing that and and they were playing it, they were doing a run at the Troubadour. And Robbie called okay. me up and he said, Come on man, come on, it's gonna be a party on the you know it was Sunday night or something. Right. I said, I gotta work. If I can, I'll be there. And 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 as a uh, 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 fate would have it, I didn't. I didn't go. Okay. And 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 uh, the next morning, I woke up and my 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 drum tech then um, guy, guy that was working for me, guy named Terry Merchant, mm-hmm. he said, um, "Hey Steve, you know Robbie's dead." You know? And I said, Yikes. "What dead drunk?" Because Robbie, Robbie and I used to go out drinking together. You know, Robbie right. was a hell of a drinker. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, 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 he's, he's dead. You know, he died, he died of an overdose. So Robbie wasn't so much of a, a drug taker. I could say he wasn't so much of a drug. He was more of a drinker. Right. But Robbie, this is this was the thing. Was Robbie, Robbie could drink. I, I'd seen Robbie drink a bottle of vodka, and then he just switched to scotch, right? Uh, uh, and I'd get sick, but I never saw Robbie throw up. Never saw him. He would pass out. Right. Yeah. And and from from my understanding, because I wasn't there for a lot of what when when the whole I was just there for the aftermath, was that he was at this party and everybody did did, did this some, some guy was saying here's some here's some cocaine. Right. And so and, and, and Robbie wouldn't do anything small. He was not that sort of a person either. He went bigger. Yeah. Went home. He went, right. And he went he went bigger. And and uh, everybody everybody else that did it got sick, and Robbie went home, went to sleep, and it stayed in his system. It was it was heroin, and it was cut with strychnine, and it killed him. Jesus Christ! It's that simple. You know, um, I, 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 you know. I mean, we we talk a lot about you know accidental drug overdoses. You know, sometimes the house I'm staying in at the moment, you know, those, there was three guys that died of. Uh, of uh, fentanyl overdoses, and, and one of those one of those guys was his was his nephew, right? And uh, and uh, accidental. I don't think anybody goes does any of that stuff to die. You know, I mean, if they right. want to do that, they say, "I'm com- I'll write a suicide note." <laughs> right, exactly. And this you did this to me, and then they just do an enormous lot and they die. And I think they would uh, rec- recreational. I don't think that this guy even had a problem. And I think it was just three buddies that decided to go and. Mess around, get let's let's try that stuff and see what it does. And, and uh, unfortunately, it, yeah, it's, it's a killer. It's, it wasn't like that in the sixties. I can tell you that right now. You know? But I don't think anything, any of the drugs nowadays are like they were in the sixties and seventies. You know, because uh, it's a it's a different animal. So I, I you know, Rob, Robbie, it was a, a tragic a tragic accident. It, okay. it, 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 it did a, it, it was a lot of pain. It's probably still being felt felt today. I, sp- yeah. I, I, you know, I hadn't spoken to his wi- his widow in over twenty years, and she called me last week from from really? England. Yeah, uh, wow, he did. And 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 she she was telling me that she she just um, just now has has come to terms with the fact to be able to just say you know this is what it was, and uh, not much point running around feeling resentment and years of running around feeling resentment. You just make yourself that sick. broke her heart for all those years, forty five yeah. years. It just yeah. wow. Yeah, she remarried, but but, but still uh, pain in the heart. Yeah, it's still painful. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Robbie was a great guy, a great drummer, and a great guy. Yeah, you 
How how long does time go by before you're getting the phone call to join the average white band? And before they call you, are they trying to at least maintain the status of the name of the group and find a white guy that's funky? No. Well, I'd tell you what happened was was this was that was that when when I found out about Robbie being being dead, I went I called I got hold of Hamish and I went over to the hotel and sat over at the hotel with everybody uh, and we were all drinking because mm-hmm. that's what we did with the Scots. And, uh, and, and I said to them, listen, you know, Robbie wouldn't want you guys to stop now. You know, you just got to get this airplay with, pick up the pieces that's happening for you. Uh, I don't know how this is all going to end up, but you guys, you know, you, you, you shouldn't, shouldn't stop. There was talk of maybe we should stop the group. Well, uh, it was it was everybody was sitting around, sort of like it was all over, you know. It oh, was sure. gone. It's like no, it's not over. It's you know. And okay. so I said, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And 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 I was under contract to Bloodstone, right? So what what I would do is uh, Stick Super and myself. What would happen if I couldn't do it? If I was working with Bloodstone, Sticks would go and play with them. And then Sticks and, briefly joined the average white band. Well, or you mean with Bloodstone? They, they played the no uh, uh, average white man. So he'd go and play really? the gig. Right? And then and then if he if he couldn't do it, I'd do it. And then, and 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 you know I I I'd go and play with them. They were auditioning people at SIR. There's drummers, all black, white. I mean, it didn't really matter. They were just looking for a drummer. <laughs> you know? Okay. But Sticks and I, Sticks and I would go would go to the. Um, Auditions, and we'd sit there in the SIR, and they, the drummer would come in, they start playing with them, and, they, and they'd say, "Okay, now that ain't working," they, and they would get more and more depressed, you know. And so either Sticks or myself would go up, and we'd jam with them, and they they come back to life again, and then they would wheel in another drummer, and then we'd sit there and we'd watch them, and they would go down. Any any drummer of note that tried to audition for the band that didn't make it? Nobody, nobody that I knew. But there okay. was a lot of kids wanting to play. There would, you know, it was a, it was a big audition go to okay and so and so um i uh, i had to play this gig with them down at long beach at long beach arena at the old long beach arena and uh we down there we sit down we get come out we start to play i remember i remember at this gig there, there was they're also like kind of state static audience they weren't really doing too much and then there was this one i saw this one guy sort of started to to rock you know so I sort of hold, honed, him, honed in on him, and it kind of spread out from him. And by the end of the show, everybody was like dancing and going crazy, and and it was it was a great show. And I came off the stage, and this little fella came walking up to me, dapper, you know, he's really well dressed and nice, you know, mm-hmm. little beard. He walked up to me and he said, "You got to be in the band." And I said, "I'd love to be in the band, but I'm under contract to another band. I can't, I can't do it." You know, and he said. You're out of that band, and you're in the band. <laughs> and, and then he walked, and he walked off. And, and Bruce McCaskill was the manager at the time of the band. I, I said, "Bruce, who the hell's that?" And he said, "Oh, that's Ahmed Erdogan." Ahmed Erdogan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I was out of that contract, and I was in Average White Band, just like that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I know you dread when you hear this, but you got to come back next week the next QLS episode 
of our special one-on-one Questlove Supreme with my idol, Steve Ferrone. Uh, he's going to talk about his time with the Average White Band, Duran Duran, Tom Petty, playing with Prince, all this other stuff, man. I hope you come back and, and enjoy this episode. It's one of probably the most special episodes I've ever done where I can talk to the person that showed me the joys of music and drumming, especially. All right, see y'all then. Thank you. Plus Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.